Well, hello, you fab listeners out there. This is Adam Danger, and once again, I'm joined with Beetle Ed, and this is another edition of The Fab Five. Edwin, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad that you called me Beetle Ed, because I was thinking, I'm like, maybe I should have a nickname, and then I thought maybe it should be Beetle Ed, but we didn't even talk about that, and you just uh, prescribed me that nickname. Yeah, I dubbed the Beetle Ed. Isn't there like, isn't that like an alias that one of the Beatles would use? Or is that what they say, like when they're having breakfast in the Imagine movie or something to refer exactly. to Paul McCartney? Okay. Well, I never knew, perfect. like, I never knew who it was because it's just George Harrison and John Lennon eating breakfast. I think it's in his, it's not Ascot. I forget where the, the, the London or the English home that they, John was living oh, yeah. in and they're recording Imagine. And he's like, have you seen Beatle Bill? He's making a pig of himself. And Beetle Ed, have you heard from him? And uh, and then he just like, you know, I think John Lennon just winks at the camera, and you're like, oh, they're just talking shit. And then I think they juxtapose that with them recording uh, "How Do You Sleep," which is uh, infamous for inter Beetle squabbles. Mm, but yes. it is. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about how we got to this topic. We obviously recorded this show, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, I hope you had a lot of fun listening to it. And we were just kind of showing off how much we know about the Beatles and obscure artists and how, you know, sophisticated we are. And we got some feedback that uh, that I think kind of changed our perspective a little bit. And it kind of showed us, uh, not that we're snobs or anything like that, uh, but that when it comes to the Beatles, there's like this Beatle elite, I want to call it, where... You can know everything. You can know every kind of uh, minutia and trivia. You know, guilty as charged, friends. Uh, but when you want to introduce the Beatles to somebody new, sometimes it can be daunting. Sometimes it can be very uh, unscalable at times. And, and Beatle, tell me about your experiences trying to, you know, maybe share something with the Beatles with somebody new. What's it been like? Well, I think it can be... I think more that it's more often daunting for the person who has the bad fortune of uh, letting slip that they don't know that much about the Beatles to someone like you or me. Because then, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I feel like it can seem pretty daunting to be on the other side of it when you tell a real Beatles obsessive that you don't know that much about the Beatles. Because then, you know, somebody like you or I, you just kind of, you really want to unload on them and just share the passion um you know i was thinking yeah it'd be great even for a future episode to do like top five moments that you were successfully able to turn somebody on to the beatles and i thought of some of those moments in making my list today but uh i do have you know times in my life where i feel like i've gotten to sort of expose people to a certain side of the Beatles that they didn't know about, uh, which is the best you can hope for because you're never going to find anybody that doesn't know anything about the Beatles. But it's a great thing to be able to, you know, show something to somebody about the Beatles that they really respond to. And so it's good food for thought, this list that you came up with. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you just said there when you want to uh, share the Beatles with something with someone, especially someone new. I, it reminds me of this uh, story that I, I was dating this girl, 
a long time ago, back when I first got into college, and I was really into the Beatles. And this is about the time uh, Beatle-Ed, you and I met. And so I was really into it, and I was trying to share it with uh, this girlfriend of mine, who shall remain nameless to protect the innocent. And oh. I, I forget, I forget that her roommate in college was also a big Beatle fan as well. And I remember uh, she was going to school in another city, and I was going to school with you, and partying and rocking and rolling. And then we would hang out and she goes, oh, you know what my favorite Beatles song is? I said, what is it? And she's like, why don't we do it in the road? And I thought, of all the songs in the Beatle catalog, you like, why don't we do it in the road? Um, that is so I'm not sure if she, yeah, I'm not sure if she was trying to tell me something, uh, if I just wasn't getting it. <laughs> But I mean, I just, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but could be. <laughs> oh, boy, Mrs. Subliminal there. So I, I've always thought, like, it's always kind of hard. Again, I don't want to, like, say, oh, it's hard for us Beatles fans that no one understands our passion and love for the music. But, you know, when someone comes back with you, like, I really like this one. I really like Yellow Submarine. And you're like, oh, cool. Cool, man. That's, yeah. So... Uh, I guess that's where the snobbiness comes out. But getting away from that, I think what we want to do today is part of our, our podcast and what we want to do and in, in sharing our passion for the Beatles is to kind of bring the Beatles and demystify them a little bit, bring them back down from that holiest of pedestal and bring it back to the people, right? And introduce you guys to, to songs and dimensions about the Beatles, uh, why we love them, and then you know allow you to discover them, allow you to to enjoy them and to, to bring something from your own perspective to the Beatles that we we can all share it. You know, this is great, almost manna from heaven, if I make it so, you know, literate about it. That'd be a good nickname, manna from heaven. Uh, trademark it, trademark uh, the Fab Five, manna from heaven. records that you would introduce to someone uh, again this would be a person that maybe doesn't really know too much about the beatles but in a way a lot of pop culture uh, in the past 60 years has been influenced by the beatles so they may be introduced to something that they've already known their whole life they just didn't know it came from the beatles right yeah and i suppose somewhere down the line we'll we'll have to do uh top five songs to turn somebody on to the beatles but for now we're doing albums and we're thinking about how we would sort of sway someone who has a cursory knowledge of the Beatles, you know, heard the hits on the radio but never got in deep to it, how we would sway them to the good side of Beatle fandom. Beatle Ed, kick us off with your first record. Okay. This is not scientific by any means, <laughs> but... Uh, I feel like one of my main goals in making my list was like trying to 
I was like trying to make a list where maybe hopefully at least three of these wouldn't be on your list. So I feel like my uh, biggest curveball comes in at number five. Number five is Beatles One, Ooh. the famous triple quadruple platinum compilation of all the Beatles US slash UK number one hits. You know, the red one with the yellow number one on the front. You've heard of it. But I just figured, you know, this was my pick. You know, some of the picks are a little more specific. uh, But this one is really appealing to people's most basic instincts, you know, the hits. And when you listen to them front to back, it's it's a uh, it's an anai religious experience. Would you agree? Yeah, I would definitely agree. And and I would also say, like, that's probably one of the first uh, records that I was introduced to. I mean, I grew up with the Beatles, but when you want to start somewhere, start with a compilation like that one. Because you can listen to, like, you know, everything from uh, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand down to, you know, uh, Blue Jay Way. And you're like, this is crazy. How can you go from, you know, this kind of uh, early 60s rock and roll to, like, something psychedelic and far out or... I am the walrus, right? Like, how is this all one band? That's that's kind of mind-blowing, right? So it can almost be a lot to take in once you listen to all the records. But then uh, what it would do is, in turn, is then, well, let's start, you know, for the eager and the inquisitive person, well, let's start seeing, like, where do these songs come from? And where do, you know, what records do they come off of and stuff? But I think that's a great album to start off with. Well, thank you very much. Beetle Adam, but I'll call you Adam Danger. Uh, Sir Danger, what did you have for your number five pick? Uh, my number five pick, I started with Help. The album Help. Mm. I think that All right. when well, we're going good, because I don't have that on my <laughs> list. Ooh, I'm glad. I think Help is a is an energetic album. It's, it kicks off with the song Help, and it's it's got these steering guitars and it just kind of keeps chug-a-lug and it keeps moving and there's a lot of pop songs on there uh but you also have uh you have parts of rhythm and blues you've got part folk you've got part rock you've even got country in there so again uh whoever's listening to this they may come with their own kind of background and they have their preferences for music so there's a little bit of everything on this record on the different songs and i think you're kind of seeing like a midpoint in the Beatle career, you know, their their the Beatle mania is, is evolving at this point. We're not quite at Rubber Soul, uh, but you also have uh, Yesterday. I mean, that's a song that everybody knows, right? So it's so again, if you're luring somebody and you want to give them something that they're going to be familiar with uh, at some point, just so it's it's an easier uh, digestion. Oh, I get it. I could hear it. Then maybe you discover a song like The Night Before or something. Um, it's, I think it's a good uh, appetizer, if you will. Also, there's a movie 
there's an accompanying movie. So if you were ever to say, oh, hey, did you kind of like that record? Let's check out the zany movie, uh, Help, and, uh, and you know, have a couple of laughs, and it's kind of weird. But again, you're still just trying to introduce this person into who the Beatles were at a certain point in time and get them comfortable uh, get their defenses down a little bit just so they can kind of just relax and enjoy the music. there that's a good pick oh i appreciate was that it. one Thank of the you. albums that when did you get into help i actually never had a help period uh you know it's kind of funny i i feel like i grew up watching the movie but i didn't listen to the record i really kind of started like at revolver and then moved like moved middle out so then i went to like rubber soul and then maybe sergeant pepper and then i think i went up from like sergeant pepper to um Magical Mystery Tour and White Album. And then I really didn't get into like early Beatles until, you know, maybe I was a junior in college, like Beatles for Sale and, and A Hard Day's Night, I kind of listened to a lot more. But uh, Help, uh, you know, I think I got into it mainly through like the Beatles anthology. Cause some of you on the anthology album too, you get to hear a lot of cool live renditions of like I Feel Fine and The Night Before and Help. And you're like, wow, this is really charged it's electric electrically charged and it's a lot of fun uh but i would say you know i kind of went for the mature cool far out albums first before i kind of came back into help and really discovered some of the subtle uh textures of it now beetle ed uh tell me about your next record here well at number four i have chosen the sergeant pepper lonely hearts club band Ooh, okay so i have that too the the remix. Did you specify the remix? I did not. Well, there you go. Um, so this is specifically the remix I was thinking about that Giles Martin did in 2018, I think is when it came out. Um, right. I was just thinking, you know, taking a different approach. Uh, you know, there might be some, there's a lot of people out there who probably don't listen to, you know, quote unquote, old music. But... I feel like the remix of Sgt. Pepper, it sort of, the difference between the sort of CD mixes that we've heard our whole lives and the new remix is so stark that it sounds, I mean, you have these timeless songs that kind of never sound dated, but now it's almost like someone has power washed a whole like thick uh, layer of, I don't want to say grime, but uh, I don't know psychedelic what got power washed off, but there is a <laughs> newfound clarity, psychedelic clarity to be found there. So I think it sounds newer uh, than ever. 
And, you know, so it's a great one to sort of bypass the biases that someone might have to, you know, music that is not uh, produced within an inch of its life, like so much popular music is today. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I listened to a song like Losing the Sky with Diamonds off of that uh, remix, and they're like little fills I've never heard in my life. Like, and this is a song I've listened to uh, as far back as I can remember. And so it's kind of neat when you hear a song, and I think your mind is trained to expect, you know, certain beats and chord changes and melodies, and it's slightly different. And it's kind of like, oh, man. And a lot of those records, uh, you know, Sgt. Pepper era records, there's so much going on in there that when you have to mix it down, there's just like layers upon layers upon layers. Uh, so what I think Giles did was he was kind of able to kind of slowly peel some of that back and, and reveal uh, you know, lost guitar and drum beats, you know, I'd never heard before. And it, again, uh, new or old, young or old Beale fan, uh, it's a delight. It's a delight. And uh, now I put Sgt. Pepper on my list. Um, and I guess I just put like the standard uh, mono Sgt. Pepper that came out, what, in 2009? Oh, sounds um, what you know. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons, obviously, I think we have to include Sgt. Pepper is because this is the center of the Beatle universe. I think everything, all their work, and even solo work, will always revolve around this record. Um, it's classically touted as one of the greatest albums of all time. I think it's the, the benchmark by which any other record will be forever uh, engaged against. And again, that in and of itself could be very daunting and like, oh my gosh, this is like the Talmud or something like a historical, mm. uh, you know, mandated gift. But when you break the record down, I think what makes it great is that it's a singular artistic statement. It approaches indulgent, but I don't ever think it crosses into just being super indulgent, which I think you could levy against the White Album. For as much as we like it, there's, there's a lot going on and, and it could have been trimmed. Uh, famously, as, as you know, um, George Martin had said. True. Uh, however, now did you did you have Sergeant Pepper? What number do you have that at? So was my number, number two. Four. Oh, okay. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, we don't have to cover it. If we cover some of the same records, then I think it's just a good time for us to to just bring them both up. Good idea. <laughs> I put Abbey Road. I put Abbey Road there uh, because I, I want, I want a newer listener to kind of see. Okay, here was the Beatles' last hurrah. Here's an album where they put as much as they could that was left in it, and it's a slick record. 
And what's great about Abbey Road and Sgt. Pepper is they really are concept albums. I think you have to listen to the entire album the full way through to really appreciate it. And it's only as I've kind of gotten older that I really, really appreciate Abbey Road now. I would, uh, that was my Friday record. So if I went to work and it was my Friday, I treated myself by listening to Abbey Road because it's so fulfilling. And, and just even at the end with Her Majesty, you're thinking, ah, oh, this is great. You know, we've come to the end. And by that day, you know, it's the end of the work week or whatever. It was kind of like a little weekly celebration. But Abbey Road has uh, just tremendous songs people know, like Come Together, whether they've heard like the um, uh, Aerosmith version or any manner of like covers of Come Together. Everyone's pretty much heard Come Together. Something, you know, what a massive, massive song that's been covered. And, you know, I don't think you can walk around this globe walk around God's green earth without having heard, you know, uh, something. Uh, at the same time, too, it's just what a great album cover. Like, you've seen the Abbey Road album cover, if you've, even if you've never seen the Abbey Road album cover. Am I right? Yes, you are so right. You know, what's interesting is, uh, have, you, have you looked, do you know what the number one most played Beatles song is on Spotify, at least U.S. Spotify? Um, no, I don't know, but I can guess. Guess. Is it something? No. Uh, <laughs> yesterday. No, it's Here Comes the Sun by a oh. wide margin. Really? Yeah, which I think is interesting because, you know, it wasn't, uh, I guess it was never a single, never topped the charts. It's not a Lennon McCartney song. It's interesting that George has written at least two of probably the top ten most enduring Beatles songs of all time. He'd probably be very happy to see that. He'd probably be sitting at his house just watching the Spotify stats, relishing in his <laughs> sort of late career victory. It's too bad he's not around to appreciate that. I'm sure he appreciates that wherever he is. I've read a, I've read a story they were writing about, I think, when the Beatles went to Spotify... And uh, this person had a, an apocryphal tale that, uh, I don't know, maybe in the 90s, someone had gone to George Harrison and said, uh, hey, so we've got the ability to put your music on the internet and people can listen to it you know, wherever they are in the world. And George Harrison looked at him and goes, yes, but where do they insert the money? Oh, and I always yeah. thought like... I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. A guy who wrote about the tax man, he was always very uh, money conscious, but... Um, you know, I, I like that. But it also, that kind of kicks off uh, uh, side two of Abbey Road. You just kick off with Here Comes the Sun, and it goes into the suite, which is great at the end, which I like. I think that people are of two minds about, uh, you know, Paul and Pam and Me and Mr. Mustard. I love it. It's almost like a roller coaster. It just keeps going. She came in through the bathroom window. Uh, but yeah, give somebody the opportunity to listen to that and go, oh, here's like from song one to the end, and what a great, what a great ride, and, and it's a very uh, rewarding uh, album to listen to. No doubt.
right at number three. Um, I got another pretty obvious one here, which is the White Album. Oh, okay. I didn't have that um, one. Oh, well, we're doing pretty good. I was thinking, you know, the way I'm going through this list is like, you know, Beatles 1, hit them with the hits. Uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper, hit them with the polished remix. And if that doesn't work, you hit him with the White Album, because you might be dealing with somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, the Beatles, can't buy me love, I want to hold your hand, something, and all that, everything in between. And, you know, if they're immune to the charms of the radio hits, then you should throw the White Album at them and see if it blows their mind or not, because I know for me... It had that exact effect, and the White Album, probably getting the White Album on CD on my 16th birthday was, like, probably the most, uh, just, like, brain-stimulating Beatles experience that I ever had, because I was already in really deep, I mean, pretty deep, I guess not so deep, considering I didn't have the White Album, but I was in deep, and so, um... You know, I feel like one of the most interesting things about the Beatles for people across the globe is just the evolution and the story and just the changes and the radical um, reinvention. And there's no better example of that than on the White Album, where things get really weird and really heavy and pretty out there. And I think that a lot of people's ears are going to perk up when they give the White Album a listen if they haven't done so already. It'll really open their mind. I want to just share a story. This didn't happen to me. This happened to a friend of ours. We'll call him Zach. And he tells a story of being in a really small town and going to a bowling alley. And I believe they put $20 in the jukebox and they devoted all $20 to uh, Revolution Number no. 9. And it was just playing <laughs> over and over in the bowling That's alley. Awesome. Number 9. Number nine. And so Zach wow. was like, you know, that's what they were getting up to uh, when he was a young uh, scamp back there in that, in, you know, small so town. Is this, is this Zach you're talking about? This is our Zach. Yeah. This okay. Is, so Zach, Zach. Okay. Yeah, who, I don't, that's pretty he great. To that's a good joke. Uh, but no, yeah, the White Album, uh, I love it. There's, there's a lot of hits. Um there's, you know, there's just a lot of record. It's a lot to, again, digest. I think it took me, oh, a couple months just to, this is what I would do, uh, dear listener. I go to our library where we had these Beatle records on CD and I would pick them out and I would check them out and then I would burn them onto my computer. And then I didn't have, I just had like a generic MP3 player, not, you know, anything fancy like an iPod or anything uh, or a Zoom. God, I wish <laughs> I had the Zoom. <laughs> Uh, but I would, I would, zoom. no, sir. I had this circular MP3 player and all it had was like a play pause button and a next and uh, a previous. And it only could last, I think it could only hold 30 songs. It could only hold wow. 30 songs. And I had to get a different software to actually rip the CDs. So whenever I would rip the CDs, I was like, this is in college. Yeah, this is like my freshman year. Had an MP3 player that could hold 30 songs. Are you sure? No, I I did. I didn't have my uh, I didn't have my first iPod. I think I had a shuffle. My mom gave me a shuffle. She's like, "Oh look, Mihal, like I found this. Do you want it?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, thanks." Um, 
but no, I had this, I just remember, I think it was like my senior year of high school. I, with my own money that I made at this uh, cookie job that I worked at, I bought this uh, MP3 player, but it was great. Cause then I could put like, let's say the white album and like half of magical mystery tour or something. But again, every song just had that. But I guess that's all I had, you know, I would just listen to it as I'd walk to class and think about it and like, oh man, you know, Martha, my dear, what a cool song. And I listen to it now and I think I appreciate, I always appreciate like the dumb stuff like Savoy Truffle and uh, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, guess, like, I mean, as a 16 year old, I was more into the dumb stuff, as you say, than anything else. I just couldn't get enough of that stuff. And I'm glad I came to it when I did then, because if I came to it now, I'd probably be like, what is this dumb stuff? <laughs> but hell, I probably won the, you know, Bungalow Bill was probably in my top 10 of the album back then. Because yeah. you know, that stuff has a lot of value and it has a lot of worth. And hopefully people can, you know, listen to this stuff before their minds become, uh, you know, fixed and jaded. And have an open mind to the goofier stuff. I think I think now I'm kind of getting into the goofier stuff or zanier stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm no, not so much into like while my guitar gently weeps and how serious this is, and this is about serious feelings, and this is about spirit, man. I'm like, oh, I'm over it, you know. Like it had its time and its place, and now I just want to relax and be kooky, and relax and become a kooky old man. I'm well on my well, way, listener. That makes me think we should have... How about next time, next episode? Why don't we just, like, alternate uh, themes? We can just... Mm-hmm. I pick one, you pick one. And for the next episode, I pick most overrated Beatles songs. All right. you just that named sounds... one of them. All right, put it oh, in the wow, books. Hard, gently, All right, nope. we're marketing. <laughs> hard day's night i uh i want to take the listener to the height of beatlemania uh i think anyone you know we would talk to would know that oh i I know the beatles were important or whatever i know they were really big but what does that mean to me and i think when you have a hard day's night you can show like this is almost a a time stamp of when they these four guys were the biggest people on the face of the earth the biggest rock group you know the biggest consortium uh, you know, since uh, they were bigger than they were bigger than most deities, let's say. Uh, but a hard mm-hmm. day's night. It's fun. It's got a lot of just great songs. Uh, I would talk about um, uh, "And I Love Her," "If I Fell," uh, 
it's you know she's kind of just great songs they had to go with the movie too so again if you wanted to watch this kind of zany black and white uh film that i think is probably superior to help uh check definitely check out a hard day's night uh also i love the use of like the rickenbacker george harrison's use of the rickenbacker uh, on the album and in the movie really kind of kicked off a lot of folks using like 12 string guitars in kind of a folk rocky sense in the following years so that's always kind of cool you can see that uh i believe the story goes that uh, Roger McGuinn uh, saw George Harrison's 12-string Rickenbacker and he went out and bought his, he traded like his banjo and his folk guitar for a 12-string Rickenbacker. And then they went on to, you know, be in the birds and he's playing and he's playing this like 12-string um, folk rock music. And then in turn, George Harrison hears it and it's like, oh, well, I'm going to take that lick for, you know, if I needed someone. And so he asked Roger McGuinn, hey, is it cool if I use this? He's like, well, yeah, man, I got the idea from you. And he's like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, no, definitely Hard Day's Night. It's a, it's a great album. There's uh, uh, just so many tremendous songs on there. Uh, but you get, again, a glimpse of, of the Beatles at their height, the height of their powers, uh, being world celebrities. Yes. Well, you have sunk my battleship, sir, because uh, I had Hard Day's Night on my list. Ah. At number one, um, I agree with everything you say, and I think that the reason I chose it as my number one choice uh, is because it seems to me, yeah, I mean, the, mainly because the movie, um, you know, what a great, uh, you know, how easy to digest is that? You just sit somebody down and get them to watch the movie, you know? It's arguably, well... Very arguably, I suppose, maybe their best movie of the few that they did. And it's very entertaining. And I feel like on the album and in the movie, everything that um, started, that created Beatlemania, which is like the look, the haircuts, the suits, the songs, the performances, the harmonies, and the humor and the charm of the four lads from Liverpool is on full display in a hard day's night. So I think it's a great way to get somebody into loving the Beatles. And I still have to get my girlfriend to watch a hard, hard day's night. Maybe we'll do that tonight. Oh, nice. I don't think I've, I've shown my wife a uh, hard day's night or help. I think so back in, back in the olden days, I, we had this friend, Caroline and she had I don't know how she had it but she had like a hard day's night and help and I want to say yellow submarine like on DVD she's like hey do you want to borrow these and I was like uh, yeah I have a DVD uh, rip software on my computer because it's like 2007 and that was like you know very high you were just, tech. You were just a ripping fool back then yeah just stealing just stealing things but I think I do have a copy. Like, it's on one DVD. It's, and all you do is, like, you just put in the DVD and you select which movie you want to watch. Uh, so I think I have it sitting around. But that's something I'll, I'll definitely want to watch. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true? And help me understand. Because I've been in love before. And I found that love was more than just holding hands. If I give 
Keep that. We're gonna put that at number two. All right, hit me with your number one. More needs to be said. What do you got at number two? Well, I had Sergeant Pepper. Oh, great. (laughs) Okay, well then I'll skip right ahead to number one. Uh, Can you guess what my number one is? I'm going to guess Revolver. Number one is Rubber Soul. Oh God. Cigar. For me, you know, I am always, I'm one of these, there's many like me, Beatles fans who are kind of late period Beatles fans who draw a line in the sand at Rubber Soul, and they really don't pay nearly as much mind to all the things that came before as they do to everything that came after. Um, And sort of, I think... The Beatles' peak, in a lot of people's eyes, begins with Rubber Soul. Some people might say Revolver. Some people might say um, Help. I guess that's what preceded Rubber Soul, right? Right. But for me, Rubber Soul was the thing that really, for me, that's the beginning of where the Beatles really just went next level uh, in terms of songwriting, performing, um, recording, I think it's where the recordings really kind of took a turn to something truly elite and unprecedented, um, and it starts to get a little bit starts to get a little bit weirder. I think it's the first album that doesn't have any cover songs. Am I right? Are there cover songs on Help? I think so. Yeah, like. Uh... Uh, they're gonna take me to the movies. They're gonna make a big star out yes. of me. Yeah, there you go. no, no Ringo singing any. Um, who wrote that song? Act naturally. That's a, Buck a cowboy. Buck, no Buck Owens song. Just all Beatles, all originals. And that was always a really big deal to me. I like for, when I was a teenager. I just didn't like if there was a single cover song on the album. I was really, I loved. I think it was the Sgt. Pepper that got me into the Beatles, so I was really into this idea of, like, concept albums or just kind of a unified sort of vision throughout. And Rubber Souls, where it starts to get uh, the arrangements get a, a lot more interesting, and it reminds me of my one of my favorite memories of actually turning on a real-life person into liking the Beatles. And we'll just mm. call this person Graham. If you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and I think we were about we were in we were you know another this is back in San Antonio another Texas college era story, and we were hanging out under a uh, a homemade fort fort you know yeah on some blankets on some chairs we're hanging out in this fort, and I get to play DJ and Graham Wilk is a infamous notorious prog head who's like <laughs> at the time the only thing he wanted to listen to was porcupine tree and genesis yes. and i don't know 
What are some other projects? Comus. Remember, you would listen to Comus. Oh, yeah. Comus. So he was kind of like, if it wasn't prog, it like wasn't legit. And like he wasn't interested because he was like a very discerning fellow. So we're sitting in our fort and I put on Rubber Soul. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He was like, whoa, dude, this is so progressive. And I was like, heck, yes, it is. And he didn't even realize he'd never given the Beatles the time of day to even hear the intricate Paul McCartney bass lines and the like amazing lush layered recordings and all this stuff. And that was the moment that's that turned him on to the Beatles. And then he ended up going pretty deep and finding out just how proggy it got. And so I think Rubber Soul is is a good choice for number one. What do you think? Well, I have to agree because I put it as number one as well. Um, All right. Which is actually, yeah, which is actually a change for me because I, growing up, you know, in those college years and post-college years, I'd always say Revolver is my favorite Beatle record. And it always like... I'm sure that Revolver would be on your list. I wrote it down. I'm going to show you the paper where I crossed it out and I circled Rubber Soul. Uh, It always (laughs) kind of boggled my mind that, you know, George Harrison would say, well, one side one and the other side two. And I was like, no way. Revolver just goes full uh, into like kind of weirdness and cool sounds and uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead and uh, really, really psychedelic. Whereas I still thought Rubber Soul was a little more restrained. And I always liked it. It was cool. But I was like, this is no Revolver. But however, when, yeah. I, when I got older, I was like, oh, I'm really kind of discounting uh, the craftsmanship on the songs. The songs are really, really tight. And I want to say, like, this is probably the last time, like, as a band, everyone is firing on all cylinders. You know, the guitars are great. The drums are great. The songs are great. This is still an egalitarian um, effort, right? I think by the time you get to Revolver, that's when you start just uh, experimenting with sounds and, and songs. And I mean, it's still a group effort, but you're, you're getting away from this as being a band and this is what we can accomplish as a quartet. After that, you kind of get special interests coming in. And not that it's bad or anything, but there's something to be said that when these four guys were really in tune and really in sync, that the music they put out was, uh, was you know, unrivaled. It was unmatched. So uh, I think, you know, that's where I can really appreciate Rubber Soul. Uh you can, you can hear a lot of more like folk influences and rhythm and blues. Uh, I just had mentioned If I Needed Someone uh, is a great song on there with a great 12-string guitar. Uh, what is it? Uh, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Oh, yes. Which is an Elvis is cover. Or not a, it's not oh, a cover, it but it's a, well, it's an Elvis lyric. I think Elvis sings... Come back, baby. I want to play house with you. And then the line goes, you can go to college. You can go to school. You can drive a pink Cadillac, but don't you be nobody's fool. Come back, baby, come. He's like, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Run for your life. Oh, That's really? the Beatles record. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's off of his first, first Elvis record. And I remember John Lennon having said that, well, I just wrote it because we needed an extra song and it's crap or whatever, but... Uh, and it's kind of, you know, really sadistic and uh, toxic masculinity, right? But oh yeah, uh, As good little guitar. John songs are. Yeah, uh, I think I think you know, in trying to think of a standout song, at least one, I was trying to think of like a deep cut that 
really stands out, and I couldn't really come up with one. Uh, I didn't have a strong preference. I mean, of course, you have Norwegian Wood, which is a Stone Cold classic. And, of course, you have In My Life, which is just one of the greatest Beatles songs of all. You got Nowhere Man. Um, but I think what brings me back to Rubber Soul time and time again is I feel like it's one of their most cohesive sort of uh, fully realized albums. And sometimes I feel like it's the closest they come to that uh, sort of no killer, I mean, all killer, no filler type of achievement, which is nearly impossible to fill off, pull off. But, you know, I would say even Sgt. Pepper, which many say is the greatest album of all time, has a little bit of filler on it if you want to nitpick. But I feel like Robert's soul is just very strong throughout and it really flows really nicely. And it's just, you could say it's a perfect album. Is there anybody going to listen to my story All about the girl who came to stay She's the kind of girl you want so much it makes you sorry Still you don't regret a single day Girl, girl, when I think of all the times I've tried so hard to leave her, she will turn to me and start to cry. That's why both our number ones there. Uh, but yeah, we're hoping that this is a proper primer for a new Beatle fan. Pick up these records, listen to them, hug them. I mean, what else are you doing? You've got the time. Kiss them, uh, kiss them even. Uh, allow them, them to imbue you with its poetry and uh, and lust for life, as it were. But I gotta say, Edwin, I I like your list very much. Can you imagine like being our age or something like that and not knowing about the Beatles? And just like holding the Beatles in your mind is this thing that like, oh, I know everybody loves the Beatles. I've heard some songs. I don't really know that much about them. Can you even imagine? Well, like, what it's funny ex- you say that. What an exciting thing to imagine. I wish I could discover it all over again. <laughs> I, uh, I have a friend of mine. Uh, we'll call her Marsha Mouse Hunter. And uh, she's, a, she's a Beatle fan, but she gets intimidated even by our largesse of knowledge. And she was saying that she was with her husband and some people were hanging out. And some guy was just like, oh, the Beatles, they're not that great. You know, they suck. And then she like lit into him. And she's like, you don't know anything about music. You proclaim to be in a band and, and claim these things. You have no idea about the you know, artistry, the beauty here and the musicianship. Like you should hardly even uh, call yourself a music fan to say have such a you know, horrendous opinion. And she couldn't wait to tell me, like, the next Monday or whatever, we got back to work. And I was so proud. I was like, see, like, that's what it's about. Like, it's about appreciating it and spreading the gospel, as it were, to, to unbelievers or those just, you know, not hip to us. But that's part of our job here. That's been part of the job of this podcast is bring the Beatles back to the people. Empower you to listen to them. Take them in new directions. Like, bring back new perspectives. Like, join us on this little journey we're on. Yeah, we should send her, like, an achievement badge or something. Ooh, she's going to get real jazzed to hear that. So I'll get those um, made up. 
But you know, these <laughs> people, stuff. these people that you encounter at parties who say, oh, the Beatles are overrated, you know, they're just, they're just looking for attention. You just got to walk away. Don't engage. Don't give them what they want. You just walk away. Do you ever wonder if there's like people like us, but they're really big Rolling Stones fans and they're just like, oh, you know, Satanic Majesties. Oh, so underrated. Nobody likes it because it was so good. You know, do you think that there's like our our opposite numbers running around talking about, uh, you know, goat's head suit? No doubt. It takes a different kind of person to be a, a Rolling Stones super fan. There's too much music. Well, I guess I say that to them. I'm like, that's too daunting. But I like certain periods. And I like certain songs. But uh, their catalog is too daunting uh, at this point. But who knows? Maybe there's a Rolling Stones podcast out there that would like to talk to us. And maybe we could do a free exchange uh, of ideas, man. But with I'm that, that's what we have for this evening. Beetlehead, did you have fun? Oh, yes. Did you have fun? I sure, 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 certainly did. And uh, it's you, always you good to talk. You've said your piece. I've said enough. <laughs> okay. uh, that's for sure. Well, I want to just thank everyone for listening today. Uh, hope you had a lot of fun. Go ahead and like and subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes now, iTunes podcast. So give us a listen. Give us a shout. Let us know what you think, if you enjoyed it. And uh, from Adam Danger here, so long. Do we have any endorsements? I mean, uh, sponsorships yet? No, my mom's check has. Been-